0: What is good, peeps? Welcome to an indefatigable artist. Just wake and be. I am your host, Blease. Just a human being a multimedia artist in the 21st century. Just a friendly reminder that it's free to support. A like, comment, or a share goes a long way. You can always check out more at blease.com and sign up to the free newsletter. Softcover novels, audiobooks, and ebooks are available there as well. Thank you. Episode 7. Metaverse Poetry. Poetry is uh, where my creativity started. And if you've read the novels, I write about this allegorically through Michael, Orby's roommate. The story of the babysitter reading Michael's notebook and being horrified by what she was reading is actually a true story. Except it was my older stepsister who read it. I wrote some pretty graphic things um, and was writing a lot of, graphic things then there was no limit what my little teenage brain could imagine i wasn't conscious of it at the time but it was a release for me to get my thoughts down on paper there was this release of just powerful negative energy that i was unleashing on these blank pieces of paper I was going through a lot of stress at home and at school. School counselor was uh, trying to get me to come into sessions. But like everything else, I resisted and rebelled. But writing, fucking writing privately in my little black and white speckled journal, that, that brought me some solace. It was an escape, really my my first escape from reality. I don't know where that journal is now. Left it behind when I moved away from Michigan. Because I left a lot of things behind. If it didn't fit into my car in that exact moment that I decided to leave, then it, it didn't come with me. <laughs> And my family at the time uh, didn't care for my things as much as I did and let most of it get ruined. But I can still remember parts of that story. Um, the one that I shared with my sister that night. It was a horror story about a hitchhiker who gets picked up by a woman who he then murders in the worst possible way. I was very graphic in the way that the hitchhiker did this, and purposely so. And being a woman, I'm sure uh, it was even more sinister for my sister to read. But that shock on her face, that, it, that's what I was going for as a writer, to have my words spook her my favorite movies at the time were scary ones. The fact that a movie could actually scare you. Think about that for a second. A a 2D image can really have such a powerful effect on you. And especially as a kid, like experiencing this otherworldly thing in front of you, the screen that you don't fully understand. I mean, it's, hard enough for adults to understand that has been here for such a small amount of time, relatively speaking, you know, you think in the terms of hundreds and thousands of years, millennia, you know, movies have only been here for like a little over a century now. That is um, a very small amount of time. And we're already seeing vast psychological effects that this has had in a in such a short period of time um, you just think of televisionally being here you know prevalently 60 years 70 years still short amount of time and for me to watch some of these scary movies that probably shouldn't have been watching that early but I wanted to, it wasn't like I was being shown this against my will. Like, no, I remember one time when my mom rented the movie scream and she watched it and I waited for her to go to bed. I don't know if she knows this or not. I think I may have told her this, um, but I waited and she'll, she'll know what I'm talking about because she rented the movie and I went upstairs, took it and took it down to our basement to watch it. Cause I knew I could be alone and not wake her up watching it. Went downstairs in the basement to watch it. And. Oh, like, I was so scared of that movie. And now looking back at really how funny it's become. Um, but I think I was, I think it came out in 1997. So I was seven years old at the time, but it was like, being told, no, I couldn't watch this movie. That's what it was for me. Like, no, you cannot watch this movie. Um, it was like, I, that made me want to watch it. You get told not to to watch something. Um, you, it makes you want to watch it that much more, uh, at least in my little brain. So, um, no, these weren't shown against my will. And that just that, that feeling was like a thrill. It was like, wow. Like it was really the first time I can remember watching something scary like that. Um, and I was hooked. I wanted more. And so I, on some weekends would go visit my, my cool aunt Amy, shout out aunt Amy, uh, would let me watch Anything I wanted to, um, she was the cool aunt. So then going to Chicago, she lived in Chicago when I was 10. I was 10 or 11 at the time. Yeah. Was it 2000? Yeah, it was 2000. So I was 10. Um, Yeah, we have a picture of it. Uh, grandma has hanging on her fridge still. Um, I think it's dated, but yeah, 2000, I was 10 years old and just letting, she had all these movies and watching, that's when I watched Silence of the Lambs. I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Children of the Corn. Um, God, anything that she, I was like, where's your scary movies? And she also was a a scary movie buff. So she had all of these movies, which was awesome. We rented some movies too. And she let me rent anything I wanted, which was awesome. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And children of the corn scared the living shit out of me as a kid. And I grew up in Michigan and we went to a corn maze, the Fusilier farm, shout out Fusilier farm visited there when I went back to Michigan. Uh, it's really cool where that place has grown into, um, great little, you know, farm out there in Manchester. Definitely check them out. If you're in the area, uh, we got, uh, jarred pears, jam, Um, they have so much there now. It's so good too. you know, farm raised food is so good. Um, but we went there as a kid and they had this huge corn maze that was, uh, pretty famous in the state. And, I remember like it was after watching these movies and being scared of these movies that we go in this corn maze. I am scared shitless. (laughs) I was so scared. And it was because of these movies. Like I had watched those movies and now I'm actually in a corn maze going through this corn maze. I'm with my mom, my cousin, Mary. I think Heidi was there. Um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but I just remember I was the youngest one there and I was so scared. I was like chewing on my long sleeve shirt and grueling through it. And at the end they have the chainsaw guy chase you. <laughs> was, and they, uh, You know, of course they had the people jumping out and shit. Oh my God. And so, yeah, they got me good through that maze and it was it set up because of those movies that I watched. I would not have been as scared if I didn't watch those movies. And so learning early on and really reflecting on this, what, you know, going to film school, you reflect a lot about your interactions and your first interactions with film, um, Going to the movie theater, you know, the first time you go to a movie theater and I talk about this too in my, my thesis of that traumatic effect of going into a movie theater for the first time, whether you're consciously aware of that or not, that is an event that is a moment. And as is the first time you looked at, um, a touchscreen phone, like an iPhone, um, that in a minute way is an experience and a traumatic one, um, and of which we're still learning more of that. I would, you know, it's all an evolution, you know, movie is an evolution of painting, moving images, you know, animation and To go from having to go to the theater to having a movie theater in your pocket, essentially, it's not as profound because in the theater, you know, you're in a a dark space. You really have this kind of of out-of-body experience in a movie theater that you don't have as much in a phone, but you still do um, to a certain degree while you're interacting with these social media platforms, you're having this, this out of body experience and it's taking place on these different platforms uh, that are now, you know, more and more computerized. So you're living in these computerized dreams in a way. Um, And so looking back at this time, psychologically of what, a young kid would be experiencing watching uh, these movies that you don't fully someone that age can't fully understand, you know, in watching these. And I remember watching Godfather and not fully understanding what I was watching. All I knew was the director was from Michigan, um, Francis Ford Coppola. And just that, in and of itself was cool. It was like, Oh wow. Okay. This guy's from Michigan who made this movie. And, uh, that's how it was set up to me by my other cool, um, aunt, my aunt Mary, um, who I've talked about in previous episodes. Um, so grateful to her as well. She showed me a lot of, uh, films early on, some great films, uh, a lot of James Bond. I'll forever remember the James Bond with her, watching, you know, Doctor No and all the Sean Connery, and going to the theater. And when Golden Eye came out, she took me to the theater, and we saw every subsequent James Bond at in the theater with with them. They would take me. Uh, that was a thing we did and, uh, that was really cool. And uncle John was there. It was, uh, it was a great experience and, um, just another one with film. And so I say that to show where I was coming from in writing this shocking story and like where I went early on with my poetry and with writing, um, in high school I didn't try very hard in school in general, but I do remember the moments where I had a chance to express myself through poetry. And this is where I actually really applied myself. Um, I also really loved reading Shakespeare out loud when we had those moments of uh, you know reading the script out loud. I would always ask to read the parts when asked, um, which at the time uh, shocked my teachers. Um, they didn't have to argue with me to get me to do anything. I would always argue (laughs) with them if they asked me to do literally anything, I would argue it. Um, and I remember this one time we had to write a poem about an, an inanimate object and kind of personify it. Um, and we were told clearly, you know, not, to make it sexual or any hints at sexuality. So upon hearing this singular rule, that was the one rule we had, we had to personify inanimate objects and we had one rule, you couldn't sex, you know, sexify it, whatever, no sexual hints. So I knew this one rule I had to break. (laughs) I wrote mine about a cap where I wrote on top rode on the front, rode from the back. And the laugh I received from the class, I'll never forget. They were roaring, laughing. Um, it was just truly a, a, a funny moment. Um, and I couldn't believe that my poetry, cause it was a poem could have that effect. Like, again, it was this writing and having an effect, um, early on, uh, but not, fully being aware of it at the time, uh, of what was happening and why that was so important to me then of expressing myself, you know, whether I read it out loud or not, you know, it was, it was the writing and a lot of the writing, you know, I didn't share, uh, and I never really took writing or poetry seriously. I didn't take anything seriously at the time, but I did when I went back to college and it was the sole reason for going back was to improve my writing. I studied psychology so I could better understand characters and develop psychologically deep plot lines. I don't have any writing from that time. Um, like I said, I lost that that journal um, as a kid and, In my first couple of years of college, I had a writing class. um, And in that, we were to write in a journal at least five times a week. um, And I did this for an entire semester, turned it into the teacher, expecting to get it back. But the fucking guy vanished. The teacher quit. Uh, We missed the last few weeks of class. They were canceled. Tried emailing him and reaching out. Uh, nothing. <laughs> I, I kid you not. This happened at Broward college. Um, my first couple years there, the guy, like what, like the professor left, he quit. Um, I mean, even throughout the semester, like, ca- uh, classes would get canceled. Uh, and I mean, we literally had like a handful. I, I really was doing the journal more for myself. Than anything, than more than the class, you know, I I handed in as a bunch of others did. I never got it back. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't know if he like started reading these. We're like, oh man, I got some good ideas. I'm gonna ditch. I you know, and I was um just so caught up at the time. Uh, I was upset about it, but I didn't like go to um the you know. The office or anything to, to really complain, uh, too much about it, to, to force, to get that back. I probably, should, you know, looking back, I definitely should have, um, was just so caught up at the time and it was so early on. Um, I just let it go for whatever reason. Um, I was just, you know, so busy at the time going to school full time, working full time that I just let it go, I guess. So is what it is, but I, uh, yeah, I, w- I was pretty pissed about that. Poured a lot into it more for, you know, my own writing career than anything else. Um, you know, I've talked about on previous episode about my hard drive crashing. and I lo- where I lost, um, months of writing. Um, uh, but this was my first taste of, of losing work. It was a, a punch in the gut, but a lesson learned. Well, apparently I, uh, didn't fully learn it until the hard drive crashed, but keep a copy of everything. Keep a copy of everything. I can't stress that enough. Have, if you care for something, have it in two different places because you never know. Back to metaverse poetry. Writing poetry is how it all started. It's what started me going down the twirl into the world of creativity. It's how Blee started. It was a book of all poetry, it was just a bunch of poems put together. And that's how my brain still pours thoughts onto paper. Um, when I write down my dreams, it's short lines that eventually becomes stanzas. Um, when I'm writing my dreams down, I'm typing as fast as I possibly can. Um, as fast as my brain and my fingers can let me, I, I try to get out of the way and go on autopilot during this time to just get it out as fast as I can. Um, and it unfailingly comes out as a poem. And I say this like I, anything else, I create, I don't like to apply adjectives or I refrain from applying adjectives like good or bad to it. It just is. It's just a feeling. It's, a, it's capturing a moment. It's a moment. It's capturing how I felt at that time anger, sadness, happiness and expressing it in an individualistic way. Take a trip down memory lane deep, far back in the brain where your conscious looks like a speck of grain. What all did you see Be easy. Memory can burn worse than a third degree. Memory is free. Memory is yours. Use memory to foresee. Write your memories down before memory flees. Past is past. Today, it can't harass. Memory can strain so you don't live in vain. Memory can stain worse than blood on a shirt. Memory can hurt worse than any physical pain. Memory is pure. Memory endures. Memory cures. Time. Makes memory a blur. Memories are surreal. Memory is so real. Memory reveals experiences from the past. Experiences so powerful. Even today, a shadow is cast. Amazing how time creeps so fast. It's a poem I wrote in my early days of writing poetry that I scatter through the first novel, Bleece. So with poetry really being the foundation of my creativity, it felt only right for that to be the way I entered Web3, how I entered the metaverse, how I minted my Genesis NFT collection. Antesos. And for those who don't know, web 3, like the two webs before it is another evolutionary step for humanity. Web one was email, web 2, social media, the MySpace, Facebook, Instagram, Web 3, It's the metaverse. It's 3D. It's a 3D space with 3D avatars. I like to think of it and call it a digital pangea. It's bringing the world together like never before. There's a sense of presence felt in these virtual plots of land that can't be felt. On a Web2 timeline or a video call like Zoom or FaceTime. When you're in a virtual club with other 3D avatars, it feels like you're with them somewhere, partying and dancing. There's an energy that can't be felt if you're just watching a live stream on Twitch or YouTube. The first time I was in a virtual space was in October. 2021 on a platform called hubs by mozilla this was a virtual party on halloween hosted by shark anthony a couple months later in december of that year going to my first virtual concert seeing artists like serena ellis in category five both of whom I've become close with ever since. Going to that virtual concert was a powerful moment. Being there with all of those people, there were 300 to 400 people there. And being in 2021, not having been to a live concert since before the pandemic, going to this virtual concert felt like going back to, back to one in real life, seeing live music being performed, being in a crowd with others, dancing, jamming to music, getting to meet like-minded people. I was instantly hooked and saw the potential that the universe had of bringing the world together and better than Web2, it's bringing them together, bypassing an algorithm that has so often kept people from each other, from seeing each other's work, suppressing artists and small businesses. I will get more into this on a future episode, but the algorithm and how it's set up for profit has severely hurt small artists and small businesses over the recent years, making it so hard to break through and reach an audience that would appreciate it. What I felt being in that virtual concert was life-changing. I published my first novel in June 2019. That summer, I went to nearly every bookstore in the Northeast. I went to New York City, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Stanford for a couple reasons. To see which ones I could try to get my self published novel into. And two, to see if I could do some live readings. Well, I wasn't able to get into any bookstores because if you're not published by one of the five main publishing companies, you cannot share shelf space with them. Any novel, any book that's sold nationally cannot share shelf space with a self-published author like myself. But I'm not willing to give up any piece of these novels. This is my life's mission. Um, I want to make these animated films. I don't want someone else making the decisions on what these characters look like or how it gets executed. Um, I want to say in that, um, I just seen too many instances where this has happened and I guess you just got to let it be at the end of the day. Um, but I really want to see this through, um, and, uh, willing to, to stick with it. So I wasn't able to get into any bookstores. And I did, however, find quite a few bookstores I could do live readings at. Uh, They had open mics, and they also had it where you could set up um, and bring friends there. So I was pretty excited about that. But what I was really setting up for was the following summer. It wasn't so much for the immediate. It was the following summer when I knew I would have the sequel, Lease Paradox, done. I was looking forward to summer of 2020. The roaring 20s. Oh, it was going to be great. We watched The Great Gatsby, old sport, going into 2020. (laughs) It was going to be the roaring 20s. We are going to have a roaring good time. Well, we all know what happened in early 2020, which squashed all of those plans from coming into fruition. Also deeply hurt my e-commerce business, as it did a lot others. But I am grateful to still be here, to have survived to this day, as so many others, unfortunately, cannot say the same. And I only say this to emphasize the importance that the metaverse had on me as an artist. With the metaverse, I was able to do a virtual book tour. I was able to perform live readings from my novels, Blease and Blease Paradox, as well as from my ongoing poetry project, A Bleaseful Sleep, which also turned into the title of my Genesis collection on Tezos. NFTs that consist of 3D animations, along with my voiceover of me reading stanzas from my poetry. Right now you can only mint up to a certain, you know, file size. So it was learning that and adjusting accordingly. Like I wanted to do full poems and longer animations. Well, couldn't get those minted, um, at the time. So still early. And they, they have since, um, created better technology to do longer videos, which is awesome to see people will be able to do full music videos. Um, but I really enjoyed doing these three and, 3d animations with voiceover of these poems the collection though was admittedly uh, a flop (laughs) and didn't get any uh real recognition by anyone but it's all right you know it's a learning process Uh, it was still fun to create and will forever be on the blockchain what i felt was a success was my ability to do these live readings in a room full of people from all over the world people i would have never come into contact with otherwise i was able to bypass the algorithm and connect directly to them as we were both sharing this virtual space together right here right in this moment past and future are illusions there is only right now And it's infinite. Can't you feel it? Lost in a dream. Do I wake up? Do I scream? No. It sleeps only mean. Lost in our thoughts. In some ways, reflecting on what today brought, thinking anything and everything is possible as it is in life. How do we not see, must find the need to proceed? Lost in our own world, going down the twirl of deep fascination, Unlimited imagination. Lost in our subconsciousness. No other witness. Only I hold the key to the door I explore. One stanza from that poem is one I used for an NFT. And I do think digital... Assets and these virtual worlds will become more intertwined with our everyday lives. The technology is getting better at a rapid pace. It's not where it needs to be for real mass adoption. Who wants to wear those clunky things on their face? Uh, Not really anybody. And who wants to figure out how to create a wallet and connect it to these marketplaces? Very few are willing to take the time. I'm personally more bullish on the metaverse than I am NFTs or digital assets, whatever you wish to call them, and crypto. I think NFTs and crypto just have too many bad actors. The ratio of good actors to bad actors drastically needs to change for real progress to occur. I do think this is going to happen over time. I do think progressive... Energy will outweigh regressive energy. Still going forward, still going further. I also think there needs to be a mentality shift as well. Um, So many in the space have a fixed mindset over a growth mindset. They fixate on this one belief. And whether it's about an individual or You know, a concept as new information comes out about people or marketplaces, like they're just fixated on, on what they already think, you know, and and take as information. Um, and if you criticize it, you're dead. Fuck you. Get out of here. Oh, you tried something and failed. Oh, you're a rugger. Blast his name all over Twitter spaces. There's no real source of information in the space. It's really only what you hear most often from the most people that others take as what's happening. Um luckily for the space, you know, the blockchain is transparent. And that's the importance of it is making information transparent. And it's gonna take more people to be able to read this blockchain and to understand it. It's learning it. And luckily, there are people like CoffeeZilla, at least at the moment, someone who seemingly has good intentions for calling out bad actors and has a good reason for doing such. This needs to happen because bad actors ruin the reputation for all of crypto and NFTs as it's so infantile at the moment. And the fact that negative information spreads 10 to 12 times faster than positive information only serves to hurt the space more. And to those who may be listening to this, skeptical of crypto and NFTs, I'm here to say I hear you, I fully get it, and you have every right to be skeptical of it. I too am skeptical of it. And with that said, I'm a very hands-on learner and wanted to learn about this new technology and all of its assets. I think as we sit here in 2023, Web3 is about three to five years away from being what people in the space think it is. There's just too much focus on shooting stars, the outliers over the mean, the other stars in the sky. It's going to take time, but I'm here for it still doing what I can in the space and will continue to share my poetry in the metaverse and go to virtual concerts. I think more big name artists will start to use this technology. We're already starting to see some come into the space and do virtual concerts. Shout out Ozzy Osbourne. (laughs) And just think of all the people that can't physically go to a concert, but could attend virtually. This is going to be huge. They'll be able to sell NFT tickets to a virtual concert, stream their physical concert into this virtual space. I think when these current artist contracts expire, they will be changing in this direction to include this new rapidly growing technology there's just too much potential for them to pass on. We're seeing this now with big-name companies coming into the metaverse. Personally, we've visited several already and have been noticed by them, which has been truly awesome. You can check out our YouTube channel and see our visits to places like Patron, Grey Goose, Snapple, Jimmy John's, Doritos, Sotheby's, Whisher Vodka, And historical places like Frida Kahlo's house, which shares her entire history. It's really cool. Um, I think the learning the metaverse can bring, you know, virtual classrooms. I've written extensively on virtual classrooms. And the ability um, of like what Mark Zuckerberg talks about, what he wants to do with meta of being able to go to like ancient battles and like go and see how they were living in that time and have these kind of it, it's going to be uh, game changing but thank you for taking the time to check out this episode about metaverse poetry if you go to the bleese youtube channel you can view recap videos of all the metaverse poetry performances i have done in multiple Metaverse platforms like Voxels, Spatial, Hubs. Still looking to enter Decentraland. Once I find a spot there, anyone who will have me, let me know. (laughs) I will definitely uh, would love to do a poetry performance in Decentraland. Shout out all the Decentralites, anyone who's listening. And to anyone who has never end of the metaverse. If you have any questions, please let me know in the comments. Reach out to me through blease.com. I have a submission form there. I've helped numerous people take their first steps in the metaverse. A profound moment for everyone involved. It feels like walking on the moon. You don't need a headset or anything. With spatial... They have a free app on the phone you can download and can visit one of the galleries that I built in Blender and deployed on their platform. Metaparty Vibes HQ, all of the virtual galleries I have built can also be found on Blease.com, where you can enter via mobile, desktop, or VR. I appreciate you listening and we'll see you next week as we go further together, one step at a time. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like and comment. It's free to support. A like and a share goes a long way. Softcover novels, audiobooks, and ebooks available at bleast.com. Let's go further together. One step at a time. See you next week.